In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to start a new series. Um, in the past, we've spoken about comparative theology, looking at different uh, Christian denominations, uh, like uh, the Protestant tradition and the Catholic Church and so on, and comparing it with the Orthodox faith. Um, so God willing, now we're going to have a series regarding um, comparative religions. So looking at other religions, um, the most prominent ones, and kind of looking at their, their, their faith. And when um, we speak about evangelism, this is very important for us to understand because when you're speaking to somebody from a different faith, um, obviously it's important to understand what, what they believe and to try to um, you know, understand that so you can compare it with what we believe and be able to approach them in a way that um, they can understand. So specifically, the religions that we are going to go over in this series, um, the first one is Orthodox Christianity, obviously is what we believe and we'll focus on that today. To set like a baseline, um, I know m many of us already know this, but it, it sets kind of like a foundation of what is it that we as Orthodox believe, um, and and again, so we can kind of use that as a starting point for talking to people of other faiths. Uh, Judaism, uh, which is the religion that Christianity sprung from, uh, and then some of the cults, uh, they, they consider themselves to be Christian, we, we do not. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, um, what are they about, what do they believe? Um, and then Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism, um, and we can go through um, each one. So God willing, today we're going to focus on Orthodox Christianity. And for each of, the, uh, each of these religions, we're going to try to focus on some main points. Um, maybe for Christianity, we'll go into a little bit more detail. We'll talk about the Bible, what is the Bible, the nature of God, the nature of man, sin, um, the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, what is salvation, angels, the church, and then the last things are like the end times. Um, so first, the Bible. Okay, The Bible is something that obviously uh, Christians highly regard. Um, we as Christians believe that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit and are useful for the Christian believer. So the idea of the inspiration of the scripture means that God is the author of Scripture. And different than most other religions, um, in Christianity, we don't believe that the Bible came from heaven as like a, a book saying God is giving us this book or dictating the word by word what is the Christian, um, uh, the Christian doctrine um, and just giving it to us and saying this is it. Okay, And one of the reasons that that is is because the message of Christianity has kind of come to mankind over a long period of time. You know, the, the Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors. And the reason that, or, or the fact that it is, has been written over such a long period of time and by so many different people adds to its authenticity. Because when you have something that's written by a single person, right, that person can claim that this book is divine, or that they received this through some kind of revelation or prophecy, and no one can refute it, you know? Like, somebody can say, I received, you know, my religion's, like, uh, uh, religious documents um, from God, okay? Who's to say whether you did or you did not? And someone who wants to fabricate something, it's much easier for one person to fabricate it, make sure that it all fits together, make sure there's no contradictions, make sure it's all kind of one consistent uniform message because one person is like the author of the whole thing, okay? But when you have 
something written over 1,600 years by 40 different people, people that didn't even know each other, people that lived in completely different eras, and that you find that the prophecies written by one person were fulfilled or confirmed by another person thousands of years later, it adds again to the authenticity that this is, like, the true author of this is not just these individuals, it's someone else who is God, who is the one kind of as, as the true author of the scripture. Also, in the Christian scriptures... We do not believe that God like possessed the authors in order for them to simply write word for word whatever God was inspiring them to write. God used their own minds. He inspired them into to kind of um, reflect according to their own personalities, according to their own writing styles. So as you can see, the writings of St. Peter is different than the writings of St. Paul, is different than the writings of St. John, is different than the Old Testament writings. Right. Each author had their own style of writing, had their own focus. Right. So in the inspiration of the scriptures, God did not over overwhelm or overwrite the personality or the experience of each person. But he used them. Right. In order to express the truth of the Christian doctrine through them. OK. As opposed to simply dictating word for word. We read in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 this famous verse about the scripture saying, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So this is what we believe the Bible is good for, right? It's good for, so number one, it's inspired by God. So the message is truly the message of God, not the message of any human being. And it's profitable for doctrine, meaning to teach, right? Teaches us about God, teaches us about, our, about the Christian beliefs. Um, for reproof, like, and, and for correction, like for correcting us whenever we are wrong, like of convicting us of sin, making us, like if we're going in one direction that's not the right direction, correcting us, going in, in, in a different direction, for instruction and righteousness, and defining for us what is right and wrong, and for us to be able to live a life that is pleasing to God through the Scripture, right? So the Scripture is a very practical book. It, it doesn't just teach us about lofty things, like the nature of God and who God is, and it's not just speaking about history, and it's not just speaking about the future, although it talks about all those things. It also talks about day-to-day -day life. How is it that we should live, or how is it that we should make good decisions, and so on. We believe that God's word is always true, always applicable, and always beneficial. We believe that the deuterocanonical books are also God-inspired. So the deuterocanonical books are... Uh, a list of books that were removed from the original canon of the scripture um, by, th by the Jews. Um, but we in the Orthodox Church, we uh, see them as being canonical or inspired by God, just as all of the other books. So that's why in an Orthodox Bible, you will find these extra books. You'll find them also in Coptic Reader, um, books in the Old Testament that we believe are inspired by God, just as all of those um, other books. So the scripture is something that was compiled over a long period of time. And the church decided that this specific set of books being are inspired by the Holy Spirit and that they are profitable for us to read. And so since that time, we have been, we have been um, reading, obviously, the Scripture, the Bible, and it's one of the main uh, pillars of the Christian faith to teach the Christian faith to, to everyone. We do not believe in sola scriptura, meaning relying only on the Bible, or means scripture only, since we believe that the church approved the Bible and not that the Bible makes the church. So while we obviously hold the Bible in high esteem, we do not consider the Bible to be the only Christian authority. We also don't consider that everything that is true 
is necessarily written in the Bible. Okay? For instance, the church existed for hundreds of years uh, in the New Testament before even the existence of the Bible. The Bible was the culmination of and the compiling of all of the Christian writings that had been already acknowledged by the church to be beneficial and useful, that had already been like uh, being passed around and read from church to church, that at some point it was decided that in council that these are the books that are going to be considered canonical, going to be considered inspired by the Holy Spirit and put together to make a Christian canon, which today we refer to as the Bible. So the authority of the church and the teachings of the church predated the Bible. The Bible is an expression of the faith of the church that the church has always had. So when we speak about holy tradition, the tradition of the church, the teachings of the church, is what came before even the Bible came. The Bible came from the church, not that the church came from the Bible, okay, if that makes sense. The Bible came from the church. Who is it that wrote the books of the Bible? Members of the church, inspired through the Holy Spirit, okay? So the Bible is not the only source of authority in the church. And we had a whole series about this when we spoke about holy tradition um, on our YouTube channel. But the, the, the focus here is that the Bible is important and we have to read it and it has the truth of the word of God in it. But what helps us to understand the Bible is the holy tradition, right? The holy tradition helps us to understand the Bible because when you read the Bible, two different people can read the Bible, the same verse in the Bible, and they might understand things differently. They might look at it differently, right? Actually, when Martin Luther, who was the one who spearheaded the uh, Protestant Reformation, his understanding was, or his belief was, is that if you have any common sense person who is not affected by any bias, would read the same verse of scripture, then they would all come up with the same interpretation. Okay, But very quickly, after the Protestant Reformation, there started to be a myriad of different denominations of Protestantism arise because people did not understand the same verse the same way. They all understood them in a different way. So the problem was is, is that even though you have the scripture, it can be interpreted or understood differently by different people. So to truly understand the Bible, you refer back to the holy tradition, which is essentially how did the early church understand the scripture? Because the teachings that the early church had were not just the teachings of the letters, the epistles, and all those things which are now the Bible. They had the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because he taught the apostles, and the apostles taught the next generation, and they established the church based on these teachings. So that became the source of authority that then we could understand the Bible through. Okay, So, so we read the Bible, but we don't rely on the Bible as the only source of authority. Therefore, we better understand the Bible through the teachings and traditions of the church. Additionally, all the prayers of the divine liturgy are found in the Holy Bible. Another source of authority that we have is the very ancient liturgies that we pray today also have the same faith. And actually, many, many of the different things that we pray in the liturgy have their basis in the scripture. Okay, many things are your even direct quotations from the scripture. Regarding the nature of God, so we believe in one God who is indefinable, invisible, and incomprehensible. So he is beyond human understanding. And as we mentioned in, a, in the previous series, we spoke about how the way that we learn about God or understand God is through revelation. God is the one who reveals himself to us, not that we can somehow discover him on our own, using our own senses, and so on. He is almighty, omniscient, and omnipresent. So he's all-powerful. He, he knows all, and he is everywhere the creator of the universe. He is a triune God of three equal 
yet inseparable hypostases or persons, which are God the Father, God the Son, who is begotten of God the Father, and the God the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from God the Father. So we believe God is Trinity, that he is one God, but made up of these three persons. Each of these three persons is God, but each of these three persons is different. Okay? They are not different versions of each other. It is not that God at some times appears as the Father and sometimes appears as the Son and sometimes appears as the Holy Spirit. Actually, we just celebrated the Theophany last week. And in the Theophany is the manifestation of God in his true nature, which is Trinity. When, when, when Christ is being baptized, he is God the Son, and we see him physically. And then we hear the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. And then we see the dove, which is the Holy Spirit coming upon him. The manifestation of the Trinity all at once, okay? Some, some heresies from a long time ago is essentially saying that God only appears in a certain form at different times, but he's only one, like one hypostasis that kind of appears in different ways, okay? But that's not what we believe. We believe God truly is three. There's truly three persons, but they're united together um, in one God. We also believe that he is all-powerful and can do anything and everything, and that he is to be feared and revered, and yet he is also the beneficent lover of mankind who created man to commune with him and the relationship of true, honest love. So he can to be worshipped and revered, but at the same time he is warm and gentle and loving, and he wants a relationship of love with us. Okay, what about us as human beings? What is our nature? We believe that God created man in his image, and that man was in paradise living freely with God in a state of beauty, freedom, purity, and had control over all that God created for him. So when God created humanity, he created us as good. He created us in paradise, which is a perfect place that meets all of our needs. And this is the state that God wanted us to live in. The biggest reason that people do not believe in God today is because they do not believe that if God exists and he is good, as we claim, that he could allow all of the suffering and all of the problems that we have in the world, how is it that God could exist while at the same time we, s we experience so much pain and suffering? Well, the answer to this is that God did not create the pain and suffering. We created the pain and suffering through our disobedience to God because we did not choose to live in the place and in the way that he created us for. He created us in paradise. We chose to live contrary to him. We chose to disobey his rules, right? And, and when this happened, we became separated from him. We believe that man was deceived by the serpent, who was the devil, due to his jealousy of God and the object of God's love and affection. So about the devil, okay, we believe that he was an angel. I think we talk about him a little later. But we believe that he was an angel who turned against God and out of his hatred for God wants to destroy us, God's people. So he came and he deceived Eve, who was the first woman in the garden, who, who also uh, deceived Adam and so on, and uh, humanity fell, okay? So, so the devil's jealous of God's love for us, wants to destroy us and to, dis and to harm God. Man fell in sin by disobeying God's commandment and was expelled from paradise, lest he eat from the tree of life and live forever in a state of sin. Sin is the separation from God. Sin is what brings death. Okay? Sin is to, to disobey the commandments of God and to fall short of the standard of God. And when we did this, because God is perfect, we were no longer to be in union with God as he wanted because God is perfection and we fell short of perfection. So there became a separation between us and God. And for this reason, and as it says in Genesis chapter 3, 
because we were corrupted and because we were separated from God, if God allowed us to eat of the tree of life, which he put in the garden in paradise, then we would live forever, but we would live forever in a state of corruption and separation from him. So by, by causing us to leave, by ejecting us from paradise, this was a punishment for sin, but it was also a way of salvation. Because if we had not been ejected from paradise, we would have been eternally living in separation from God. So by allowing us to be ejected, Essentially, he was allowing us to die, okay? He was allowing us to die. And death is going to be what? The death of the corrupted nature, which through the whole work of salvation, which we'll speak about, allowed us to return again to God. So now, what is our state? So we have salvation. What does that mean? We still have the corrupted flesh. We wait for the corrupted flesh to die, which is our earthly death. And when that happens, our spirit returns to God again. This is essentially what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the corrupted death to die. Imagine if we had eaten of the tree of life, which essentially meant that we would live in the current state that we're in, separated from God eternally. There would have been no, no option for us to die because we would have had immortal life, eternal life, in our current state. Okay, God did not want us to continue in this state that we're in. So he turned death, which was the punishment of sin, from being something that was evil, something that was bad for us, which is eternal separation, he turned it into something that was good. Instead of it being eternal separation, he turned it into like reunion, restoration, again with him. We believe that sin is falling short of God's mark for us and that sin separates us from God, but not from his love. So even though we are separated from God, it doesn't mean that God hates us. He still wants us. He still desires us, which is why he comes after us for salvation, but we are separated from him and we believe, believe that sin leads to death. Is there any question? Yes. You mean if they didn't eat of the tree of life? Yeah, the tree of life was what granted immortality. The tree of life. Let me read for you this, this part that I'm referring to. Um, this is in Genesis 3.22, so this is after the fall. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil because he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so this is what, what God is speaking. He's saying he's become like one of us, knowing good and evil, which is what which, which God did not intend for us to know evil at this point. Okay, And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Okay, so the idea of living forever was tied up with eating of the tree of life. So the way that God was granting us immortality in paradise was because he provided the tree of life and the tree of life after eating from it is, is how we would be living eternally. So at this point when the fall happened, they had not yet eaten of the tree of life. 
Like the, the fall happened before they ate of the tree of life. So to prevent them from eating of the tree of life, he exiled them away from it. Okay? If they hadn't eaten of the tree of life. I mean, the plan, th that was the plan, right? The plan was is that they would eat of the tree of life and not sin. Like, that's what God intended. That's why God told them, eat of the tree of life. Like, he wanted them to eat of the tree of life. They would not have just remained in the garden having not eaten of it. They would eat of it. Yeah. No. There was no death. So they they did there wasn't we didn't they didn't understand the concept of what it is to, to die, to cease to live, right? And they surely didn't understand the spiritual death, because even now, like we can understand, to some extent, what physical death is at least by observing someone who dies, even though we don't understand what that really feels like, but we can understand the concept of physical death. Spiritual death is something even more difficult to understand. Right, And from the perspective of Adam and Eve, when God told them you will surely die, it was two kinds of death. They're going to physically die right? because they are going to be ejected from the garden. They're not eat, eat of the, the, the tree of life. So they're going to physically die. But the, the spiritual death happened immediately. right? The spiritual death, the separation from God happened immediately. And actually the physical death is, is a process that began immediately. Like for instance, Aspects of physical death include like illness and sickness and like all these manifestations of human weakness. This is all like part of the the physical death. You know, a lot of people they you know get old and they begin to lose you know their faculties and they lose their health and so on over a period of time, and then they physically die. Right. So this is both things happen to them. They began to die because it's a process, ultimately ending in their physical death. But their spiritual death also happened, which was a separation from God. He was no longer with them in the garden. They no longer could communicate with him as before. They no longer had his blessing or his presence with them as God intended from the beginning when he made them. They, I don't think they had any frame of reference to, to understand what that is. Like if, if you had never seen death before, well, what, what is it? Kind of like, you know, when you try to tell children about death who don't understand death, what do they think about it? Because Adam and Eve were like children, right? When you, when you try to tell a child about death, they don't comprehend it, right? So th I don't think they could have understood the fullness of what was going to happen when God told them. He told them, the he gave them the warning, and they should trust him not because they understand the, the ramifications of their choice, they should trust him because he is God and he is good and he has provided every good thing. Because when you think about it, like they saw God as their creator. They saw that God created all the animals and all the plants and the whole earth and everything for them. Adam saw that he created Eve for, for, for him. And he saw that God had authority over everything and gave them the authority to go and to name the animals and to subdue the earth and to have authority over it. Like they observed the goodness of God directly. Like, they knew the goodness of God. But then suddenly this serpent, whom they had never seen and whom they did not know, 
came and just contradicted what God told them. And he said, no, you will not surely die. And they began, he began to implant lies and suspicions in them, saying, no, God is, he doesn't want you to eat of this tree because he knows you, you will be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. So they ignored all of the good things that they actually observed about God, and they believed the serpent, whom they had no reason to believe, and that's why they did what they did, right? So even though they, they didn't fully comprehend what the punishment was, they still should have followed what God, they should have followed God because they could observe all of his goodness and just trust him. Saying, okay, God said don't do this, so we're not going to do it. And this maybe is one of our failings as human beings is we have a hard time trusting something we don't, wanna un- we don't, we don't understand, which is the reason why they wanted to eat of the tree of knowledge, because they desired knowledge. They believed that knowledge was going to give them what they wanted. But when they took of the knowledge, all it brought was death. All it brought was pain. You know, maybe as adults, we look to children and we're like, you know, I wish we could be like this again. I wish I didn't know about all the evil in the world. I wish I had no idea about what was going on because children can be so innocent and carefree because they're not aware of all the suffering and all the pain and all the difficulty in the world. But children, they want to be like adults. They want to be able to do what adults do. They want to be able to go do so. Like, when you're in that state of innocence, it's easy to want the knowledge. But once you attain the knowledge, all you want is to go back to the innocence again. So Adam and Eve were the same. Like, they were in a state of innocence, but they desired the knowledge. They wanted to know what God knows instead of being satisfied with where they were. And just that God is taking care of us and that's all that matters, they wanted to know more and more and more. And the church fathers say that eventually... God would have allowed them to eat of the tree of knowledge and they would have increased in knowledge when they were ready. But they weren't yet ready at this stage, so God told them don't eat of it. So God did not create the the tree of knowledge as just like a a temptation. He created it so that ultimately would have some purpose, but it was not yet time for them to eat of that tree. It was premature of them. Yes. Yes. Well, he did warn them. He did tell them that. He told them, don't eat of this tree or else you will die. It wasn't out of a lack of it wasn't a l- out of a lack of understanding that they ate of the tree. Maybe they didn't understand fully what death was, but they, f- they fully understood that it was wrong to eat of the tree. It wasn't like God was ambiguous in his command or that they were kind of like not sure should we eat of it or not. They wanted the knowledge. They wanted to eat of the tree. So when somebody came and offered it to them, they were like, hey, why don't you eat of this tree and it's actually good, it's not bad. They jumped on the idea of wanting that because they wanted the knowledge, Right? When the, when, when the serpent told them, you will be like God if you eat this, that's what they wanted, right? So they were not satisfied to be in the state that they were in, but they wanted actually to be like God. And so they found a reason to justify their own desire and they ate of the tree. So it's not like they stumbled into this without understanding. They understood that this was wrong, even if they didn't fully understand what was going to happen. They couldn't have predicted, you know, like the the fullness of their experience in life was in paradise. Like that was, that was all they knew. 
They had never lived outside of paradise. They could have never even have imagined there existed such a thing as being outside of paradise and not having the food just freely given to you and not just being at all times like having everything that you need given to you. Like that wasn't a concept that they could understand, but they were given warning, you know. I, I don't I don't understand the biology of the paradise. There was no death. And the, like the church fathers speak about even how the nature of animals was different. Like, for instance, maybe a lion was not a predator. Maybe he didn't d kill other animals to eat. I don't know. Well, nobody was there. I, <laughs> I think the, I the idea is, is you have to understand, what is death? Like, what does it mean to die? Right? So the idea of death, which is the cessation of life. So if God is the creator of everything, and God is the source of life, why would there be death? Like, where would death come from? Death is against God's nature, because he is not a God of death. He is a God of life. Like, we accept the existence of death because all we know is the world, and that's where we grew up, and death is everywhere. But when you really think about it, if... Like, if God creates a place of perfection, why should there be death? And if there is death, then it's not perfection. right? Just like in heaven, there is no death. So how that manifests itself in animals and, you know, eating plants and what you do, I don't know. I, I can't tell you that I know that. Okay, but, um, or how you want to define death is like, okay, when Adam and Eve eat a fruit of a tree, is that like killing, the fr killing part of the tree? I, I think that's going a little too far, but... The point I'm trying to make is that the idea of life ceasing was not, did not exist because God is a source of life and there was nothing blocking that life. Like everything that happened afterward which led to death was a result of sin and actually our sin corrupted not only ourselves, corrupted nature itself. So death became a, a, a characteristic of nature that was not previously. Even like Natural disasters, for instance. Were there like tornadoes and earthquakes and floods and stuff in the garden? No. There was no corruption of nature. God created nature in perfection, and he created it to be a place that fully satisfies our needs, not a place that is terrifying or that has disasters or, or death in it. So that's why it was such a good place, right? It's not just like the earth, the way that we see it now. It was something different. It was something beyond maybe our understanding with our, our modern day understanding of what life is on the earth, or what physical life is. I'm gonna move on now to the next slide. <laughs> no, no. Um, we believe that we, the children of, Ad well actually we're, we're like out of time. We believe that we, the children of Adam and Eve are all born with a corrupt nature 
Because of the original sin committed by Adam and Eve that we must be baptized with water and spirit in order to be washed from any previous sins. This washing also kills and buries the old corrupt nature with Jesus Christ to rise with a new clean nature with Jesus Christ. Okay, so this will be the last point. Essentially saying the death that was inherited by Adam and Eve, the death that they experienced, which, which brought them a corruption, that corruption is inherited by us, okay, as their children, okay? As though we participated in it with them inside of them, right? Like as though we were in them when they made these choices, we inherited the corrupted nature, we inherited the original sin from them, which is why when we are born, even though at our birth we have no personal sin, right? We have no sin that we committed, right, personal sin, and yet we inherit their sin, okay? As though this is a sin that's attributed to us. And so one of the, the maybe the things we take for granted about baptism is that baptism washes this sin away. That prior to the existence of baptism, prior to the incarnation of the Lord, there was nothing that any human being could do to remove this stain of sin from them. And because this stain of sin is inherited, and because it is in each of us, no matter what we do, we could never be restored to God again, right? Because, again, God wants to be in union with us, but our willful choice of sin separates us from God, and each one of us inherits that same state. So there, and there is no way to remove it once it's there, okay, prior to baptism. So that's why no matter what people did, in the Old Testament, no matter how many sacrifices they made, no matter how, many, how much repentance they offered, every single righteous person, or, or the ones that we refer to as righteous, meaning they are the, the most righteous of the humans uh, in the Old Testament, when they died, they went to Hades. Like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, 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 and everyone, David, all the righteous people in the Old Testament, there was no option for them to go into paradise, which again, in paradise is what? Union with God. There was no way for them to be in union with God because of this corruption that they inherited. Until the Lord Jesus Christ established and, 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 and uh, like, like brought salvation to the people. This is why the very first thing, like it shows you something about the love of God. Like the very first thing that Christ did, even while he was on the cross still, his body was on the cross, is after he died, he immediately went down into Hades and he brought up all those people who had gone to Hades, though they were righteous from the Old Testament, and he brought them to paradise. Like that was the solution. That's why he did everything that he did is so that we can be restored and reunited with him again in paradise. And so baptism is the first step in this restoration. Baptism removes anything previous. It removes all of our personal sins. It removes all the original sin. It removes this everything, all this corruption, so that we can have a fresh start as the children of God and not continue our life in that same status as Adam and Eve from that point until then. Okay? Um, any questions before we final close today? Yes. You know, it's, it's like, this is the example you can think of, okay? Let's say you have a, a, a woman who's pregnant, and she is a drug addict, okay? 
this drug addiction is not the fault of the child. But because the mother is a drug addict, when this baby is born, he will be born also a drug addict, addicted to drugs because it's been in his system. So what is the, what is the fault of the child? There is no fault. But they have to deal with the consequences of the decisions of the people that came before them. Okay? But this doesn't mean that God does not give us a choice. Right? Even though we are born in a certain status, the justice of God is that he gives each of us an option to choose a different path, right? We can choose life, we can choose salvation, even though the decisions of those people who came before us brought corruption. Not only that, because we shouldn't just point our fingers in Adam, at Adam and Eve and say, look, Adam and Eve, you guys messed it up for all of us. If we were in the Garden of Eden, all of us, you don't think any one of us would have eaten from that tree? Like, we make the sin of Adam and Eve on a regular basis every day right? So we can't point to like another group and say, hey, if you hadn't done this, then we would all be fine. Because no, we wouldn't have been. We, we have the same weaknesses that they have, and we commit the same sin of disobeying God constantly. So it's really a human, like it's the nature of our humanity. We are rebellious. We find it difficult to submit and to obey, to submit our will to God. And so we're always wanting to do things contrary to what God is telling us to do, okay? Adam and Eve just happen to be the unlucky first ones, right? But then we can point to and say, hey, it's your fault. But it's all of our faults. We all do the same, right? Okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we thank you for helping us to understand more about our faith and the great gift of salvation that you have given us. Help us, O Lord, to always look to you as a source of, of life, the source of strength, the source of salvation, that in every way, O Lord, we know that we are weak and sinful, and yet you cover us, and you help us, and you lift us up again to restore us to you. Strengthen us, O God, and accept our repentance, and teach us, O Lord, to follow you and to submit our will to you. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.